Welcome to Deep Look, Ulti World's weekly radio show about the current state of Ultimate. I'm the host and the editor, Charlie Eisenhood. Joining me, Keith Rayner. And really, I'm joining him because I was gone for two weeks. Keith, thanks for holding it down while I was out of town. Oh, thanks. Thanks for giving me free reign to uh, to run the show into the ground, get all the picks wrong, uh, to misrepresent <laughs> you. Uh, you know, I, I had slander. I let on some really wild guests with some incredibly inflammatory takes, and you may be facing <laughs> legal issues and ramifications for those. Uh, in the the future. thing is, this could be true. I have no idea. I haven't listened to the show. Charlie does look, folks. Folks, I'm gonna say something that might. I, this may get edited out. That Charlie may not may, may not let this reach the airwaves. I'm gonna let it reach the air. Nothing gets edited out of this show. <laughs> Charlie, Charlie does not listen to Ulti World podcasts. He just does it. He's, I'm sorry. It's every doesn't listen to his own podcast. He doesn't listen to Sid the Fields. He doesn't listen to Leg It Out. He doesn't. He li- listens to none of it. It's true. Look, I in my defense. I barely listen to any <laughs> podcasts at all. That's true. All Charlie listens to is New York talk sports talk radio. I'm pretty sure. That's right. That's right. Although it's not what it once was, Keith. It just is not <laughs> Even what it the once Knicks was. are winning. The Knicks, yeah, the Rangers, a lot of winning going on in New York City right now. That we uh, the the hey when I first started when I first was in New York and I was first listening to sports talk radio it was Mike Francesa, and the guy still had it back then. Now, the tail end of his career, not so good, but uh, he's been gone and it just it hasn't really been the same around here. Um, I I love a little Knicks talk is great, but the people on the radio have no idea what they're talking about. I'm sure that's what people think of listening to us on this podcast. (laughs) Giving the ammo directly to our Twitter haters. (laughs) Um, Well, what what a weekend it was in the college division. We've got a lot to catch up on. Edward Stevens will join us to discuss Smoky Mountain Invite. And we'll talk about Stanford Invite as well in the men's division. The women's division is coming up this weekend. Out in Stevenson, Keith, not in Palo Alto. The fields got destroyed in Stanford's campus and they had to move to Stevenson. If you were with me and bet like minus 300 that this tournament was going to happen at Stevenson, come and collect your winnings. Everybody could see it coming from a mile away. Uh, another year in Stevenson. Um, but a Love great it. tournament coming up at Stanford with uh, eight of the top 10 teams in the country in the women's division competing this weekend. So that's going to be uh, fantastic. We're going to be doing two streams per round. So we hope you get yourself a subscription if you don't have one already and uh, enjoy the games. So, Keith. Um, before we get to college talk, we finally have all of the PUL rosters. And so we've got a chance to take a look here. We're just a few weeks away from the start of the Premier Ultimate League season. And there are some very interesting roster moves that we should discuss. So um, where do you want to start? Uh, maybe it's be most interesting to begin with the brand new team in the league, the Philadelphia Surge. What do you think of this roster, Keith? First, first team to uh, to sell their jerseys, so the 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 crowd is is hyped for uh, for uh, Philadelphia, and, and with good reason. I mean, the the roster is both like a good surprise, but also kind of what you'd expect. I mean, this is the kind of who's who of what you think of of, of Philly Ultimate. So, they, they, I mean, there are a lot of the the big names. You know, you 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 go through the amp hits. You've got Raha Mazafari. You've got Linda Morse. Got Liz Hart, uh, you know, the, the, this is a strong-looking roster. I, I think it, there's no way around it. There's plenty of talent here for this team to be good in a year in which the league perhaps feels open. Uh, I could we see a debut title? I, that that feels like a bold, like a, like a long limb to walk out on. But you know, I've already pound, walked out. I, on I think that this limb. roster is a this is this is a t- talented team. I don't think this is the favorite preseason favorite, though. I, I, it, I don't think so either. In my mind, it's it's a tough call because I think, you you know, coming in before we've seen the rosters, you're like, well, it's got to be Raleigh. It's got to be Raleigh. And and perhaps it's still Raleigh, but they they do take a couple of losses, a couple players leaving. They lose Sarah Mextroth and a couple of others. They do pick up very interesting here. Chena Titcomb who's moved to Raleigh. Uh, that was a surprise to me. 
So that's a nice pickup for them. And they're still going to be an excellent team and certainly a championship contender. But Keith, is the favorite actually New York? I'm I'm not willing to go that far, but uh, they are at the top of the contenders list. They picked up some very strong players. So you do you keep Raleigh in number one in your mind? I think so. I think so. Although it's not like you know they it's not like they've proven it or anything. You know they they don't got any rings. So even though it feels like you know they're the clear favorite because the 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 crown, uh, the head that wore the crown has has left the league. Uh, you know the, the, why not gridlock? Why why not? Uh, I I think I'm sticking with Raleigh. It, you do you feel like this gridlock ceiling is higher? Like the best case scenario for the New York gridlock is is better than the best case scenario for Raleigh. That that's a that's a case I, I might be willing to buy. I mean, here's the thing: this gridlock roster has much of the best of bent, the best of exist, some of the best players from Boston, and Elizabeth Mosqueda. Now I. Should probably also mention Ina Cartagena, but she was on bent, so that was included already. But you've got two truly world-class players in those two right there, along with Amy Joe and Jenny De Jesus, who just coming off this amazing season with Exist. Uh, you know Emily Barrett and Kara Sieber, uh, Angela Zhu. Like I, I, and I feel like I hyped this team last year, and then they were pretty disappointing. But I truly think that given the additions to this year's team and a lot of the continuity that they have, they look very impressive. Yeah, the, the, the carryover, like the carryover from last year's team plus when you're adding in the talent, like this gives them the kind of star power MVP candidates that I think this team probably could use. And it, it pushes some of that pressure off of, you know, your your Angela Zoos and your Tulsa Douglases, it takes some, it takes some of that workload off of them, which I think is going to be a much more comfortable environment for them to try and be successful. And you know, having winning players come in, it helps helps your team learn how to win. You know, it, it it's meaningful. So, yeah, New York and New York and Raleigh, I think, are going to be the two teams people are talking about. But but with all these rosters out, you know, we just talked about Philadelphia. Minnesota with the big pickups, you're starting to see a conversation bubble up where it, this this feels like a league that, that the, the title is open. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you you look at Minnesota, they pick up Robin Fennick, they pick up Sarah Mextroth back in Minnesota. Uh, and, you know, they, that adds to a, a solid bunch of depth that they, you know, retain from last year. You know, I'm not sure that I quite see enough there for this team to be elevated above the teams on the East Coast, but I think they will easily qualify, easily qualify for championship weekend, and that gives them a great chance just just to get there, you know? Um, what's interesting about the league to me is that you really have haves and have-nots because there's a bunch of teams in this league that have absolutely no chance of winning a title, none. And, you know, that's probably been true in the past, but it feels like there's more teams in that category for me this year. You know, Nashville, uh, Atlanta, Columbus, um, Indy, and and maybe Milwaukee, who has had a ton of turnover. Um, I just don't know. And then, you know, Portland, Portland Rising, they're going to be OK. I don't think they're going to win a title. They're going to be solid. It's just they're in such a tough division. I don't know how they're even going to get out of the into into the championship weekend. But the the disparity between the strong teams in the league and the weak teams feels maybe bigger than it's been. I I to me I can see that picture. It feels like the middle of the pack is just thin. I mean it's not it's not a very big league, uh which I you know is obviously true of like the Western Ultimate League where I feel like this is less pronounced. Uh, and you know, the, the teams that have been in the South have struggled. You know, we've seen Indy, Nashville and Atlanta as of late have kind of dragged down that, that overall talent level. But, uh, you know, I think that th- th- that is always going to potentially be a challenge with, with, you know, we, we, we know that since the beginning with Indy and Nashville, that that was kind of a project and that the focus wasn't necessarily 
these were going to be the most competitive markets. That wasn't really why there necessarily were teams being put there. But that you know, you say the same thing of the AUDL, right? Like, yeah, it's true. Detroit's been a punching bag for forever. Uh, you know, how many teams when we start an AUDL season is like this team has absolutely no chance in hell of winning a title. <laughs> it's, it's true. Many of them, but but you have a nice big fat middle, right? You have the hat, you have the 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 favorites. Your New Yorks, your DCs, or whatever, and then you have a nice big fat middle. And here, I think the middle feels a little thin. You know, you, you look at Portland and Austin. Uh, you know, maybe maybe you want to put Milwaukee or, or Columbus there, but uh, it's just not a very big group in that in that portion. And I think that's what makes it feel so pronounced between the haves and haves nots. Well, it's just at the top end, you've got a bunch of teams that it feels plausible that they could win a championship. And you yeah. know, it, it, that 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 that's. A, something that's different from the other leagues. I think in the AUDL, there's not that many teams that fit in that category. And in the PUL or in the WL, there's not that many teams that fit in that category. But here, I think you can realistically see DC, New York, Philly, Raleigh, and if you want to squint, maybe Minnesota winning a title. That's a lot of teams. So I agree with what you say that I think it's pretty wide open. I mean, we haven't even really talked about DC yet and and we, we probably should. I mean, they do lose a good chunk of their top players and really their middle of the pack depth to Philly. But they pick up Claire France. They pick up um, Jenny Faye. Jenny Faye's back. She's back. Um, and they're going to be a really good team again. Yeah, they'll they'll remain competitive. That's for sure. Uh, and maybe even capable of a potential upset. I mean, when you have a player like Claire Trope, like it's always going to be uh, in the cards, uh, they still have. They definitely still have the talent, but you know, certainly, you know, the losses to to Philly and then like Erica Bacon, Cami Groom, uh, the it's there's basically irreplaceable players. Like short of getting Mosquera and Ina Cartana, you just can't really replace players like that. So they're gonna have to find a new way to win, you know, uh, and that that's a real challenge. But I still think they'll be good. But they 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 perhaps are closer to that middle group than they are the top. I just think it's compelling to finally not feel like we're uh, we're asking like, can anybody beat the same team again? Agreed. <laughs> Tell Agreed. you what, no one's gonna lose to Revo this year. <laughs> it's 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 nice to go into the season feeling like you don't know who's going to win. I completely agree. So much more to come on the PUL, and we're gosh, we're just a few days away from the start of the Western Ultimate League season. More on that in a little bit. Uh, right now, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be joined by Edward Stevens to talk Smoky Mountain Invite. We'll be right back. Joining us now on Deep Look is Edward Stevens, Georgia-based ultra-world reporter who was at the Smoky Mountain Invite this past weekend. And Edward, I feel like every tournament you go to, we got some crazy stuff happening. And uh, maybe this is the craziest tournament so far of the season. Yeah, you know, I, I bring uh, I bring the spice with me wherever I go. It just it just disperses as soon as I land. So UMass takes down UNC, delivers UNC their first loss of the season, fifteen twelve, in the final. Uh, Edward, we both got to see UMass at warm up, and they looked like the real deal, winning at warm up. Uh, but this is a much tougher field and that's easily the win of the year for this team tell us about that game yeah i mean you know winning at warm-up is is great but it's a it's a completely different scenario that's everybody stretching out their legs stretching out their throws showing up in cutoffs uh smoky mountain invite on the other hand is where teams are really trying to to tighten their play on offense, trying to find their best sets on defense and are going to actually start delivering the kinds of blows we're going to see them give each other at deep in regional tournaments and certainly at nationals. And and so for UMass to come out and not just beat UNC, I mean, they're still undefeated on the season. They beat all comers. Uh, almost all of their wins were by big margins. They look deep. They look strong. Their throwing is still top notch. And I mean, in that final, we saw them first uh, absorb uh, a break by UNC, which 
most teams cannot do. Once once most teams get broken by UNC, that's it. They kind of you see them kind of like give up a a little bit. They don't like to admit it. They'll never admit it. But like teams kind of lose heart. But not UMass. They they got broken and they immediately um, went out and uh, and ran basically the same play, but from the other side of the field. It was a it was a huck by Luca Harwood, who likes to huck, um, that uh, hung up and got blocked to set up the uh, the first UNC break. But then they immediately called the pull play for him on the next point, and he hit on his huck. So they stayed in the game, got the break back at the end of the second half, and then it was or in the, in the, at the end of the first half, and then it was all UMass in the second half. I mean, they probably generated 15 UNC turnovers in UNC's last like six O points. It was incredible, and they didn't cash in breaks on every one of them, but they put themselves in a position to score the disc all the time. And UNC started making lots of mistakes. This is this is a UMass team that I, I expressed skepticism of in the preview leading up to uh, the tournament, and certainly that's that's been erased at this point. But I think coming into the season, you know, we knew that they were going to be without Ryan, Orion Cable, uh, and obviously that last year. They didn't deliver at regionals. What what has it been about this team? What are the characteristics of them that have made them such a surprise and such an impressive squad through the this first part of the spring? Uh, depth is number one. I, I think they're probably the deepest team in the country. That goes for uh, both, all, like on a number of levels. The the level of like a, a sort of team coordinated performance, the number of players they can put on the field who will run the reset systems, run the defensive systems, go and make a play. That goes for their athleticism. I know, uh, you know, Charlie has, has run into uh, Artie at the gym over uh, over their winter break. And it's clear that that team has been putting in a lot of work. They have big shoulders. They jump high. Um, they, they have that great... Um, explosion into layouts that you see from the most athletic players. And that's going top to bottom on the roster. And, and then I've said this before, but I, I can't stress it enough. They have some of the ba- best team wide breakthroughs I've ever seen um, from a college team. Every single person can uh, hit those low inside backhands, which are coming in clutch right now because a lot of teams are running force middles and force backhands these days. Um, they've got, a lot of guys have those nice oyo flicks. Everybody's got some kind of like little scoopy, flippy, cute throw that they can um, that they can squeeze in for a tight reset or over the top of the help defender um, in the end zone box. It's it's like they have the key to every door that any defense could could close on them. It's it's pretty cool to watch. So this team's going to go to number one in the power rankings this week. How do they not? They're undefeated. They beat UNC. They've you know, they've done everything that they need to do to get to number one in the rankings. Is this team the ch- the championship favorite at nationals in your mind right now? You've you've seen a lot of these teams uh, now over a couple tournaments. Where, where do they stand? Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen everybody out from the West Coast yet. Um, I am not going to take it away from UNC right now. I still think they're the championship favorites. Uh, we saw from UNC last year that they lost in, I think, quarters at Smoky Mountain Invite to Brown. They lost in semis uh, at Easterns to Georgia. You know, they were not a, a team with a perfect record, but they were the team that was focused enough and had enough talent to grow beyond those pitfalls early in the year. And I don't see any signs out of UNC that that isn't the case. Now, I don't think they're as heavy of favorites as I would have said before the tournament, simply because of how well UMass played. And I think UMass are very much in that conversation. But for me right now, UNC are still the favorites. Um, they lost that final and 15-12 is not as, wasn't the closest game UMass played. That went to Vermont, um, who I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, but um, you know, it's notable that UNC were playing without Eli Freed this weekend. Um, I don't know if that's a long-term injury, short-term injury, or if he was just resting. I saw him at the fields. Um, but uh, he's the kind of playmaker who can swing one or two points a game one way or the other. I expect that if they remain basically healthy and they get him back, that, you know, that will be a closer game with UMass or anybody else. Or, or you know, they'll pull out farther ahead of Colorado than they did, for instance. Um, but 
but yeah, I mean, and the other thing about UNC being the favorite is as deep as UMass is and as good as players like Luca Harwood, Kayla McSweeney, Jonas Stang Osborne, Toby Paperno, as good as those guys have been, Noel Sierra, I don't know that their top end is as good as North Carolina's top end. Um, and they showed that a lot when they would uh, cross over some of their best D-line guys to offense or some of their best O-line guys to defense. I mean, when you get Ben Dameron, Josh Singleton, Kevin Pignoni, um, Matt McKnight, Andrew Lee on a line together, when they're all working as a unit, it's hard to stop them. Uh, and Rutledge, Rutledge Smith, too, who was probably the best thrower at the tournament. Yeah, don't sleep on my guy, Rutledge Smith. Not, oh, not man, sleeping I, uh, on Rut. When we, when we get to our <laughs> top 25 player rankings, I'm so looking forward to having the highest ranking for Rutledge Smith out of anybody. It's going to be a good time. I'm going to leave him off just so we can have something to fight about. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> leave not. him off. I mean, you, you mentioned, so you mentioned Vermont, Colorado. I mean, how many of these teams do you think you would include in the contender group from this Smoky Mountain field? Like once you get past UMass and UNC, how many of these other teams do you think look like they are in the conversation with those teams? If I'm honest, just one, and I think it's Vermont. Um, wow. I, I don't think Colorado, Texas, or Pittsburgh are there right now. I This is like total gut feeling. This is this is way out of my my heart and my bones. This is not necessarily coming from my head because I haven't really thought about it heading into this this podcast recording right now, but I haven't seen enough consistency out of Pittsburgh to believe in them. I haven't seen enough consistency out of Texas to believe in them. And I haven't seen enough depth out of Colorado to believe in them uh, as championship contenders. Could I see any of those teams in the semis? Absolutely. But do I think I, they win once they get there? Not if they're facing UNC, not if they're facing UMass. I'm almost certain about that. And I mean, Colorado's already lost twice to Vermont this weekend. And Pitt didn't play them, but Vermont seemed to have their heads in a, a better place. I think I think that's it. Is that crazy? Might be a little crazy. Why does Colorado play so many close games? When I look at their schedule, I mean, you know, they have some beatdowns of bad teams, but Otherwise, they, all their games are within three goals. A lot of two-point, one-point games, even going back to Pres Day, um, playing really close with Washington, uh, Oregon State. And I just feel like the expectations for this Colorado team is that they were going to be a lot closer to UNC than they were to the rest of the field. And instead, it feels like they're a lot closer to the rest of the field than they are to UNC. But I mean, they also played tight with UNC. So I'm trying to understand what's going on with this team. Yeah, I I still think they're in full development mode. They they lost more than I think we we realized um, heading into this season out of last season and are incorporating so many newer players. They're all really good. You know, Nandeman Fink is going to be an offensive superstar. Ryan Shigley has all the tools to be right up there with him. Um, they got a guy, Carter Hallstrom, on the D-line who bids like crazy. Um, and another guy, Zeke Thorison, who is out there making plays. They've got um, sophomore Dexter Lukey, who's doing a nice job. But all of these players are still adjusting to either being at the top end of the college division because it's their first year in it or or being in major roles and just don't have the kind of consistency at this point in the year that you need to start holding those big leads when you get them or adding a big lead with the D-line. I you know, I feel like a lot of times when they get a break, it's because they've crossed Connor Tabor and Danny Landisman and, and Calvin Stoden over to the D-line. They're not forcing as many turns as they could as we would want, you know, a championship team to force. And so, I mean, the game stay close. I think there's potential for them to ramp up in a hurry. I mean, how often do we see, you know, a freshman kind of hit that rocket ship mode starting in the late spring once they finally got enough, you know, points under under their belt. And that could happen with this team and all of a sudden they they could be in that championship level again. But yeah, I think they're just still adjusting and figuring out who they are. 
did I don't even know if, if Tucker Kalmus has, has taken the field for them yet. He was kind of a surprise late addition to to their already stacked recruiting class. Uh, but you know, just another another quiver or another arrow in the quiver for them that that could be that guy later in the year. Uh, I mean, you mentioned that they they did take not one but two L's to Vermont. I mean. What a roller coaster it's been for for the Vermont faithful. You know, you you come into the year, there's so much hype, and then all of a sudden it's dying down rapidly. And then let's back of the rocket ship. We're taking we're you know it was just it was just a mistake on the landing. A a booster didn't fire, so we had to we had to we had to set it back up. And now now we're ready for takeoff. Uh, Is this are you you seem like you're buying on Vermont? Sell us on Vermont. I never sold on Vermont. Not even after their bad day one at. at warm up. So here's the thing. There are some there are some parts of their warm up performance that carried over and some parts that didn't. And what carried over is the fact that they're kind of out there on offense throwing what they want, throwing a lot of different unique looks, um looking to to press the pace pretty fast, looking to um find some unconventional uh or uh unexpected for the receiver sometimes uh deep looks. And that is going to produce mistakes. That happened. That happened at, at warm up, and that still happened at Smoky Mountain Invite. But what didn't carry over was the fact that at warm up, when those mistakes happened, they seemed to kind of crumble in on themselves. They weren't getting enough effort playing defense after turnovers like that. They would let those mistakes compound uh, compound into dumb arguments over calls or arguments with each other on the field, or um, or just just adding on and throwing, you know, good throws after bad, basically, and, and letting those those points pile up. But I think what we saw this time around was that they realized that that wasn't a winning pattern. They, they couldn't fall back into those mindsets. And so they just dug deep, stayed strong, played excellent, hard bidding defense. They bid so much as a team, and it's, it's really fun to watch. Um, and uh, and and leaned into what makes them great, which in part, like UMass, is their depth. I don't know what is going on exactly in New England right now, but there are just tons and tons of good players up and down these rosters. I mean, on the on the last the last point of the weekend for them, it was a soft. It were it was two sophomores, Zach Watson Stevens and Parker Lynn Butler, who uh, sealed the victory for them. You know, Colorado received. Um, uh, the final had just ended, so I turned around to the adjacent field and watched the very end of the uh, third place game. Colorado received, and Zach Watson Stevens ran through for a really fast catch block at midfield. Two throws later, they put up a huck to Parker Lynn Butler, the shortest guy on the team, facing uh, Colorado Mama Birds' Ryan Shigley, who's a pretty tall player. And uh, and Parker Lynn Butler just skied him in the back of the end zone for the score. It was it was great. And it's just like, okay, that's who this Vermont team is. They're not backing down from anybody. They're trusting all their players and they're believing in themselves. It's fascinating to see the, the, the difference in the results between what we saw at warm up and what we saw at Smoky Mountain where, you know, at warm up, they had zero quality wins. Uh, you know, maybe you give them some credit for Georgia Tech. Uh, but, you know, here they come, they beat Georgia, they beat Colorado twice, they beat Ohio State, UCLA, who had a pretty good weekend, uh, and they lose only by one to UMass. So, I guess should is this the is this the Vermont we should believe in, or should we believe in the Vermont from earlier? Because it's a little unusual to me, especially if they're still turning over a lot on offense. Yeah, I mean, I've I've seen them three times in the last four months because they came to Athens for Classic City Classic as well, and I think we believe in this most recent version of Vermont. That's it's what they showed back in November. It's what they showed this weekend. I think warm up was a little stumble, a little wake up call for them. I'm a believer. They they remind me of a they remind me of a team from like 10 years ago. They basically like feel like they play ultimate from 10 years ago but with more skill. <laughs> but honestly they, to me they're they're the new age Wilmington. Right? Like they're gritty they don't necessarily have like a star to rely on per se, but they make a bunch of big plays and they can ask some of the guys you might say are no names. We don't really have no names as much anymore because the there's so much tape and stuff like that. We get to know players over time, but 
guys who might have been no names who ha- don't have like a, a ton of elite club experience, they can ask those guys to go toe to toe with elite stars. You know, they can go out there and be like, okay, CJ Kuiper, go down and, and get a block on, you know, Danny Landisman or whatever. And that, He'll do it that can too. make that work. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I, I, yeah, I'll be curious to see how they develop and what the, if they can add a little of the system or the discipline or if that's too out of character for them. If it's like, no, we need to be the loose team or else we, we, we can't be that system team. That's not us. Uh, you know, I'm looking, I, we could, I feel like we could talk about like basically every team in the field. I mean, that's part of the draw of, of Smoky Mountain Invite is there's just relevant teams pretty much everywhere you look. What do you feel like is the next biggest story from one of these other teams that we haven't talked about yet? I mean, you got UCLA, Pitt, Minnesota, Brown, Carlton, Texas, Georgia. I don't, should they even go to this tournament anymore? Do they just start to climb <laughs> the invite? I don't know. Uh, where, where do you, where would you go next? Uh, I mean, I feel like the biggest story is Pitt. I was expecting Pitt to make a run at the final of this tournament. And maybe that's my own problem. Maybe the problem is my expectations. Uh, but I think they underperformed. I didn't talk to them after the tournament, uh, but I my guess is they probably feel like they underperformed. Um, you know, they they were up two breaks against Colorado in the first half in quarters, gave up the lead. They were up a break in the second half, gave up the lead. Um, we saw this happen against uh, Georgia and BYU back at warmup. Uh, this team is undoing itself with its own mistakes. They can't get out of their own way. Um, and, and it's so funny because there are times when Scott Heyman looks like the best player in the world. There are times when Henry Ng looks like the best player in the world. There are times when Tristan Yarder looks like the best player in the world, or at least best player in the college division. These guys are undeniable talents. And then they get out there and make, frankly, boneheaded plays and clutch moments. And I don't understand it. I, I don't understand where this team goes at times it it's like there's two two pittsburghs fighting for supremacy and i think the bad one won out this weekend and i i just i want to believe in them because i love the talent i love the coaching i know how important it is to have a history of high level success as a foundation for current and future success and i think they have that in their recent past but I'm just worried about them. And I, I think that's a major story from this tournament. And can can you just tell us what the heck happened with Georgia? Because and I was on vacation last week, as everybody knows. And and so I'm coming oh, back and I'm looking excuses. at this and I'm going, what what is this? Because I, I, I was impressed with what we saw from Georgia at warm up. And, you know, they, they only beat Tennessee. That's their only win on the weekend. I mean, they played close to some I, good I teams. I crowned Aiden Dowdy the player the player of the year for the first like early season. Uh. <laughs> like immediately tags after that. Yeah, the Rocky Top curse strikes again for for Georgia. I put this stat in my Saturday recap. They are uh let's see, they're one and eleven on Saturdays at Smoky Mountain Invite. Um, Yikes. Which is That's right. They were holding this tournament last year. I forgot that. Yes. Yeah, well this one looked a lot like last year's in that they played an offense where it was like they, you know how on defense you want to try to put the offense into small spaces and force small windows and basically make everything as narrow as possible to, to reduce the margin for error. Um, it's like for the last two years, on day one at least of Smoky Mountain Invite, they haven't been in the bracket for me to watch in day two, but at least in day one, they've put themselves in those places regardless of what the defense was doing. Uh, they're, you know, they're just crowding each other around the disc they're they're forcing throws to players they don't need to force to and they're setting themselves up for turnovers the way a defense would want to set them up for turnovers the talent's there but but yeah where where are they going to be i mean they're going to i don't even know if they're going to be in position to earn a bid they could just like they did at easterns last year they could totally redeem themselves and set themselves up for another you know nice nice time at nationals but yeah, I, I hate that we see this from them every year. I mean, there's almost no pressure on them. They're not. To they're not out playing enough Goltie at pickup Goltie in Athens. I'm saying <laughs> it right now. But as, I mean, there's no other Southeast teams even in the conversation right now. I think the next best team in the no. Southeast is Georgia Tech, and they're down around 30 in the rankings. So it doesn't matter if they're in a bid or not. Right. How does this all set us up for Easterns? 
Easterns is going to be hot. Easterns is, and I mean that in a in a level of play way. Uh, usually, it's actually kind of windy and cool in a weird way, uh, temperature wise. But um, but yeah, I mean, I I think the biggest thing about Easterns is we are going to get two top ten teams out of the West Coast out there. You know, we're going to get. Oregon and Cal Poly. We had UCLA, who had a really nice weekend at, at Smoky Mountain Invite. Um, loved what I saw out of UCLA. That is that is a team to reckon with. I'm planting my Keith and I talked about planting flags a couple weeks ago. Uh, I'm planting my flag uh, in the UCLA bandwagon right now. I, I think they're going to do a really great job, not only making nationals but being an extremely tough out once they get there. Um, but we're going to see what Oregon and Cal Poly can do against the likes of UNC against the likes of Brown, Georgia, Vermont, UMass. What is the kind of final form of each of these championship hopefuls going to look like? I, I think that's what we're looking at for Easterns. And, you know, the sub the sub story is, can, can UNC break the curse and finally win that tournament that for some reason they've never won, even though they've won everything else in the world? I'm not betting on it. <laughs> no. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I I it doesn't mean I'm not gonna pick them to win nationals later on, but I'm not, not picking them to win Easterns. Yeah, I, I, don't talk to me about picks. Charlie left it. Hasn't gone well. <laughs> Edward, thank you so much. Uh always great to get the insight here. And yeah, I mean, I'm looking at these rankings. Just one final thing. Uh this is from frisbeerankings.com. Texas at number five in the country right now in the uh in the algorithm. Is that legit? Yep. Texas is good. Now, they're, as they have seemingly always been as a program, they're inconsistent. But I mean, Texas beat, it was, you know, in the fifth place bracket at that point, but Texas beat Pittsburgh 15 8. I mean, that's just a, a huge win. And, and they looked like they could hang with UMass when they played them in pool play. Um, Texas has a really deep senior class. And, you know, in college ultimate, Sometimes just having the years behind you matters, but they've got um, they've got Saketh Polchuru and uh, Matt Chambers as grad students. They've got John Clyde, Zach Slayton, Gavin Babbitt, and Jake Worthington in you know, the top of a, a really deep senior class. We've got a cat moment here happening. But yeah, I mean, if they can avoid the games where they suddenly forget how to throw, which seems to happen about once a tournament for them, uh, yeah, this is a this is a team that I think is a real legit semifinal contender. I don't buy them as a national contender. I think I I said that earlier, but yeah, this is this is a this is a squad to reckon with. I like Texas. All right. Top 3 players of the tournament go. Kayla McSweeney, UMass, uh Rutledge Smith, UNC, Turner Allen, Vermont. Easiest question go. of the day. There you go. Easiest question of the day. Edward, thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, y'all. I appreciate it. Always glad to glad to talk with y'all. Welcome back to Deep Look. Thanks so much for Edward for coming on. Uh, very interesting tournament. And we had some surprising results out west as well at the Stanford Invite Men's Edition. Cal Santa Cruz, UC Santa Cruz gets the win 7-6 over Cal Poly Slow. That's not, that is the correct score, folks, in the final. It was 7-6. And um, Santa Cruz bouncing back after being put on a lot of fraud watch lists over the last uh, after their last <laughs> tournament. But uh, what, what a what a bounce back for them. They get an 11-7 win over Oregon in the semifinals and really just looked a part of the team that we saw back at SBI. They did. And, and yeah, this is a uh, hardening result. You know, the, it's been a bit of an up and up and down performance for Santa Cruz, which I think seems reasonable given the, the lack of a big game experience on this team. Uh, so this is, this is certainly the kind of thing that'll get you excited about their prospects. Uh, it certainly helps the Southwest. Uh, that's for sure. And they're going to go six and zero, get wins over teams from Northwest and uh, even Wisconsin, one of the other out of region teams. Uh, you know, they get they get the win over Cal Poly Slow. I feel like that's a big prove it win for them. I don't know what's going on with the scores. It's it's not, this wasn't like 
that windy at this tournament. I don't, I don't know why all, the scores are so depressed on Sunday, uh, but yeah, I, a good a good win for a team that I think has proven that they are going to be a tough out. I think it's going to be hard to buy on them as being a consistent team. You know, maybe if they go out and and they they roll through Southwest Regionals or something, but I, I don't think there's any doubt about the talent level and, and that when this team's clicking, that they can beat some of the best teams in the country. Well, and I think, you know, they're missing a couple players at Pres Day. I also think when you look back on that tournament, the results look a little better than in at the time. Now, they did lose to Emery at Pres Day, which that was a, that was a <laughs> yeah. bad loss. There's no way around it. But they lose by one to Cal Poly. They lose to Oregon. They lose to Colorado by one. And they lose to UCLA by two. And that, at the time, that UCLA loss looked bad. But after the weekend that UCLA just had out at Smoky Mountain, I think that loss looks a lot better. So, uh, really, an impressive performance, though. I mean, they had some close games, but they got the key wins in the bracket and com- by comfortable margins, you know, 10-7 over Oregon State, 11-7 over Oregon, and then the win over Cal Poly. Uh, clearly, they're up to the task of potentially winning the Southwest. I think that that is clear. I, I-, I don't know where you even put the favorite at this point. Probably still slow, but the explosiveness of this Santa Cruz team has been very much on display. They have some of the best athletes on the field at any time. And I just think Southwest is probably going to get three bids and they totally deserve it. I mean, it's been a really strong year for the region. Oh boy, three bid, three bid Southwest. I mean, it, this feels like just right in the script for UC Santa Cruz to get knocked out in the game to go by Cal. You know, like <laughs> that, that, that feels like you're teeing it up. <laughs> It's not like we haven't seen something like that before, but I don't know, Keith. I feel like they really are the real deal. And unless you yeah, can when you, scheme when you them watch out, them play, like they, it's real. Yes, I mean, who who do you think their best player is? Maybe Liam J. Yeah, is maybe the way I go. I mean, when when Aiden Curry, Aiden Curry is is hitting. I mean the. The throwing prowess is, is I hope that I hope that this team makes nationals so that Aiden Curry could get potential opening recognition or something like that. Uh the guy's got a thrower's reel, that's for sure. I wonder who's gonna get their Callahan reel. It's gonna be fun, whoever gets it. Uh but what a story this team is. I mean, kind of feels like they came out of nowhere and you know, now they're out here winning Stanford invite. I mean, I know it's not the Stanford invite of old, but they still had to beat all these good West Coast teams and they did it. What else? What else stands out to you from this weekend? Still, still, besides besides these weirdo scores that, that make me like have this uh, just reactionary skepticism to the <laughs> results. You know, just I see low scores. I start thinking about like, okay, this this feels fluky. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what's up because also there are a lot of close scores. So you see low and close, but there there's not a lot of win. I don't know what's going on there. Uh, but short rounds, Keith. you know, obviously. Yeah, short rounds definitely hurts. Uh, obviously, Oregon's disappointing outcome is uh, is the biggest story aside from Santa Cruz. I think you know they lose eleven seven to seven Cruz to to Santa Cruz in, in semifinals to knock them out, but then they lose to Washington eleven ten in the uh, in the consolation game. You know, whatever I don't know what their value is on consolation, but I can tell you, you know in that rivalry, they don't want to go out there and lose to the Sun Dodgers. Are we, are we throwing in throwing up the question mark for who's even the favorite in in the Northwest? All of a sudden, like Oregon has been inconsistent. There's just no way around that. Yeah, it's 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 strange to watch this team go out there and win Pres Day. You know, with a three goal win over Cal Poly, beat Colorado in the final, and then you know they're rolling at Stanford. I mean, they're crushing teams all the way up into that semis game against Santa Cruz, and then they. You know, they sputter out. You know, you almost wonder, did they take it for granted? They had beaten Santa Cruz 13-9 back at Pres Day. They come out a little flat in that game, at kind of just like on autopilot, thinking they're easily going to win the tournament. And then they get punched in the mouth. And then I don't know if I really put much stock in the 11-10 loss to Washington. I mean, Washington's got a lot more to play for in that game than, than Oregon does. Um, but, it, you know, at the end of the day, if you want to be a, a top team with championship aspirations, you can't go out there and kind of get blown out in semis. 
at a tournament that is a lot lighter field than Pres Day. Absolutely not. And and I think the danger here is that the, the Northwest looks like, again, I, I've said it before, I'll say, you know, I, I got to keep banging this drum. I mean, it looks Northwest regionals is like it could be nutty. I mean, Washington inconsistent, but this is the best we've seen them yet. Uh, they still lost the game to Colorado, Colorado uh, State, but otherwise, you know, they were hanging tough with slow. Uh, they they seem to play up and then play down. I, I don't know what's up with that, but uh, then you got, you know, Uvic makes quarters. UBC loses to Oregon, to Oregon State. This Oregon State team is a nightmare at regionals. You know, they are a team that could beat the favorite or lose to the sixth seed or whatever. Like, they're everywhere. Uh, so, uh, you know, right now, early, early returns are, are three bids for the Northwest. Seems pretty reasonable to me. I, I think that's but, probably where they average out. But let me tell but, you this. If BYU doesn't oof. play at sectionals, that's one bid gone. Okay. Right now, the third bid is with UBC, who's on the bubble. Mm-hmm. So if UBC plays poorly later this season, I don't even know how many tournaments they have left. They're probably playing at Northwest Challenge. They could easily lose that bid. And Washington might be too far down to climb back up into bid range. They're sitting at 24 right now. Keith, it is very possible that they get one bid. Yikes! <laughs> Maybe the deepest region in the country and they could have one bid. I mean, that is... Absolutely brutal. It would be brutal because, I mean, you also have Utah State, UVic, Oregon State all in the 30s. I mean, they they have a lot of really good teams, but they are. It depends on what BYU does. I mean, if BYU plays conferences, they're going to get two bids for sure and maybe three. But if they don't play conferences, that's one gone. I I, I also I also think, yeah, that that will be one gone. I do think I do think Washington has a pretty fair shot, assuming they're going to play. Northwest Challenge to uh to fight their way back in here. That's true. But I don't, I don't I don't even know what I don't know what UBC has left on the schedule. Not a good weekend for them uh for for bids. Not great. I mean the problem for Washington is that they already played 23 games. So it just gets a Oof. little bit harder to pick up points. Um they're right now they're only about 40 points off the bubble, so it's definitely possible if they have a good weekend at Northwest Challenge. So Interesting stuff. Um, elsewhere at the Stanford invite, I think, uh, you know, no surprise to see Cal Poly slow getting back to the final. Uh, you know, Oregon State kind of keeping things interesting. And we talk about this Northwest, like <laughs> there's a bunch of there's a bunch of really good teams and it's just going to come down to how many bids they end up getting. But, you know, this is this Oregon State team feels like one that could snipe a bid at regionals. Or or totally bottom out. I don't. Of course, I don't know what to do with those guys. <laughs> uh, but they beat UBC. Yeah, the, the talent is is certainly there. But you know, more more of just a lot of uh, <laughs> West Coast teams beating up on one another, and I, I don't necessarily see a lot of separation besides those teams that made semis. Keith, I mean, do do you see a team that really feels like they were the next best team? No, no, I I I think that there's a a pretty tight bundle after that. And even, even then I'm not even sure how much I separate Washington from, from the pack, given that they've lost Colorado state, barely beat Stanford. It'd be UBC by three, which is solid if, if unspectacular. And I think UBC, I still think UBC is good. Uh, I still like them in the, in the long run. Uh, so yeah, the only other team that, that stood out to me was Wisconsin. They uh, were coming off a, a pretty impressive start to the season at Florida warm up where they got wins over Texas, which looks even better now. Uh, and Michigan had some close losses against some good teams. Not, not a good trip for them. They, they lose to Victoria. They're very, they lost by one, the UCSC, which that's a good result. Uh, obviously you'd rather a dub, but uh, they, they were in it. And then they, they lost by one to UBC. So, you know, uh, the win loss record, obviously not good. They, they, you, you would like to see them split between UBC and, and UVic. I could take one of those losses. Those are good. Those are solid teams, but you'd like to see them take one of those down and to walk away with uh, 0-3 and and all of their close games against good competition is disappointing for the Hodak faithful and and certainly going to send them down uh, the power rackets. I got to be honest. I think this is the most concerned I've ever been about Wisconsin missing nationals. 
I think the North Central is only going to get streak. two bids. And I, I, I just, I, it's hard to count them out. They've done it time and time again, even when they've been the underdog. But even when they really have no, no I just right think to. the talent just, is much they're higher. They're clearly level. a less talented roster, and they win anyway. I know it's crazy. Who will they beat if they go to nationals? Carlton or Minnesota? Carlton. <laughs> Carlton. Come on, their best players are freshmen. Like that's a setup for it's for true. Uh, for the for the for the choke at regionals. Well, let's, let's let's wait a little more season to play out before we make any too many crazy predictions. Wisconsin could still come back and earn a bid. By the way, they're not that far off. They're at twenty two, and they could play their way back in with a strong end of the season. So we'll see. Uh, Keith, how'd the picks go? We'll take a look at the score sheet for this week. Charlie with a, another good week, starting to separate himself. Uh, Charlie with the the perfect picks for Smoky Mountain uh, with UMass over UNC. Uh, I also picked against UNC, but just not not with the right teams. I went Colorado and Pitt, uh, and uh, obviously Pitt bombed bombed out. But uh, I thought we'd see that UNC loss, but I didn't. I did not pick the right time. Uh, the subscribers also, uh, they, they get one point with UNC in the final pick, but they had a uh, UNC winning over Colorado in the final. So Charlie picking up a, picking up a point there. Uh, by the uh, way, I did not pick UMass to win. I oh, was sorry. You, to take you, credit UNC for that. over UMass, Excuse but I me. did have the two of them yeah. in the final. I still picked UNC. You did. That was wrong. Um, and then, uh, kind of not great picks for any of us. Yeah, everybody takes this, the point from slow, but nobody had Santa Cruz. Everybody had Oregon or or slow uh, elsewhere. So uh, Santa Cruz from the outside is going to take away uh, the opportunity for some for some points. I mean, really, I was the only one who could get anything because you and the subscribers had the same picks. Uh, and, and slow did not not slow could have pulled it off for me. They were one point away from giving me that three point boost. I really could have used that because Charlie now has thirty one points on the year, and I have twenty five, and the subscribers have twenty four. So. Uh, we got work to do. Charlie is Charlie continues to put together the numbers, even even while on vacation, even from across the globe. You love to see it. Uh, all right. Well, we're going to get to our picks for Stanford women's in just a moment, but let's take a look at the tournament. As I mentioned earlier, eight of the top ten teams in the country taking the field. Your top seeds: UNC, Colorado, UBC, BYU, Stanford, Tufts, Oregon, and Santa Barbara. Keith. Uh, Always a great tournament, very deep. Uh, only maybe a couple teams where you think that they're not going to be able to come up with a win. Um, at worth noting, you know, we're going to get some great matchups like BYU against Stanford is going to be super fun. How good is this UBC team? That is for sure the number one question I have going into this weekend. How good is this UBC team? We've got a lot of hype. We've got some preseason stuff going on, but we haven't really seen them take the field against good competition. And they got to come out and they got to play a couple solid Southwest teams and Tufts just in pool play. Maybe we'll see them against Colorado and semis. For sure, to me, that's the story to watch this weekend. Absolutely. I, I think everybody's going to be uh, very curious about what the debut of this team looks like. How for real are they? Uh, you know, I, I always I always feel like I, I'm willing to take their first foray out with a with a grain of salt but this team is so talented that the expectations even with them not playing their best are still really high like i would be i would be disappointed to see them you know to i'll give them like the first round maybe two uh but you know i i think that they need to be making semifinals like this team is that good so uh even if you account for the fact that they haven't they haven't really played in a, in a tournament they have not they obviously have not played an actual section tournament yet uh, but even when accounting for that, the, the talent level is is too high to to give them too much of a pass. So they're they're attention number one, and like you said, great great measure in these first couple games. You're getting to see Tufts and Davis in pool play is going to be a a nice measuring stick for for how the T Birds shape up this year. And you know you're going to have Colorado and, and UNC right next door to compare them to. A lot of really tremendous teams. Lining up, I mean, undefeated Colorado, undefeated UNC, <laughs> technically undefeated UBC, uh, a BYU team <laughs> that has looked very impressive. I don't think they have a loss either. 
Yeah, that's right. They're undefeated because they beat uh, they beat Stanford already back at SBI. Um, so a lot on the line, a lot on the line this weekend. Uh, we could really see a reshuffling of the power rankings. And, you know, does this UNC team have the juice to continue to be considered the clear favorite? They looked a little shaky at Queen City. Let's be honest. That was not the, a slam dunk win for them. And now they got to go up against uh, a couple of teams that really, frankly, the top two next contenders. Colorado and UBC are clearly the other two teams that could knock UNC off and win a national championship this year. So we get it all uh, this weekend on the line. We, we sure do. I, I hope that we get to settle some of this stuff out in the bracket. You, know, you also have uh, Western Washington, speaking of debuts, uh, making their uh, debut. Gonna hopefully get a chance to see uh, Akisha Han. And uh, knock the Western off, you get Washington making their debut. So three big, big debuts from the Northwest. Uh, we we have only seen Oregon really uh, as the, as the power team from that from that region. This Washington team, they lost a lot. They were obviously returned to Abby Hecko. Like I think there's a lot of question marks about how good can they be when they're missing so much of of the of the players that made them successful. You know they they have had this core that they've been built around, how do they, how do they, how do they perform? Like, I don't, I don't think we can count on them to be the deep team that they've been in the past where they really can go, you know, 12, 14, 16 deep with really strong players. Uh, I think that this is going to be a different look for them. So how do they bounce that out? Will we see them come out and be really developmentally focused? I think that's totally possible for them. Uh, You know, how much better are you going to make Abby Echo this weekend? (laughs) Not, not that much. So uh, they have some great young recruits, but I think asking them to come out and, and be really strong at this tournament is a lot to ask of them. But you know, they, they have some. They do still have some some carryover that could could put them through. But UCSB and North and North Carolina is a tough draw in pool play. Worth noting, the weather does not look very promising. It's going to be raining no. and thunderstorms the whole weekend. Uh, and so, you know, the fields hold up pretty well, unlike the Stanford fields. So that should be okay. But yeah, you know, it's also going to be raining all week leading up to the tournament. So, you know, that's going to be challenging. Uh, we could see a little bit of wind as well. So this is going to be, uh, who can, who can hang in there in the tough conditions, Keith? So fire up, fire up your Stanford stock, you know, get, get your Stanford stuff ready because you know the zone's coming out. That's like right. Ten different zones. <laughs> um, all right. Well, we're going to make our picks. Uh, I guess, why don't we just make our picks right now? Keith, who are you taking in the Stanford invite final? Uh, I'm, I'm trying not to get over overwhelmed by the weather. I'm just going to take the, I'm just going to take what I think are the two best teams, UNC and Colorado. Uh, I, I just don't, I, I like UBC, but there's too many reasons to bet against them. I, I, I might feel differently, you know, by the time we get to nationals, but for me, there's too many reasons to bet against them right now. In fact, I, I might favor Stanford or Tufts over them, given that it's their first weekend out. So yeah, I'm, I'm sticking with UNC and Colorado. I think there, there are too many road bumps for, uh, for some of these other squads. I really wanted to talk myself into UBC, but if it, if it wasn't their first tournament of the year, I might. But I can't do it. Not with Colorado having already played. I'm going to take Colorado, UNC to make the final, and I'll go ahead and make my finals pick as well. I think Colorado is going to win this tournament, Keith. I'm calling the upset. I like it. Um, I think, you know, we saw already last year how close these teams were to one another. And... I just feel like uh, this is going to be the sal- the opening salvo, and it's going to go to Colorado. And what I like is that we've seen both of these teams have to play against some strong competition. I think that I liked the way UNC handled that a little better. So I'm going to take UNC to uh, to hold on and, and take this win over Colorado. All right. Uh, the subscribers, as we pop in here to the... Discord, where all of our full and plus subscribers can come chat about Ultimate. Um, they have picked. Ooh, it's a tie right now. Interesting. 
we're going to have to wait for the tiebreaker to come in, Keith. Do we go with tiebreaker based on seed? Well, we we can update we can update the doc based on you know it, it may not make it to the to the air, but we can uh, we'll update it based on on how it breaks out by the end of the day or something like okay, that. That's fine. So so UNC for sure making the final per the subscribers. It's currently a tie between Colorado and UBC who gets the other spot in the final, and then it's also a tie for the win. Split vote between UNC and Colorado for who's going to win this tournament. Uh, way way fewer votes for UBC. Interesting. So. That's where things stand right now. Uh, we will have a update on this by the time the uh, show comes out in terms of the official picks. We could tweet them out. Yeah, we'll tweet it out. All right. So before we go, Western Ultimate League kicks off this weekend. We've already talked about some of the rosters and the changes this year and kind of what we think about the power rankings for the league. But Keith, uh, we're going to get some actual ultimate happening this weekend. I know I'm excited. Um, we're going to be down in Arizona. It's one of the, uh, the mega weekends to kick things off. And so it's kind of the mega, mega weekend. Cause not only do we get the first, you know, batch of games, but we also get Seattle playing San Diego. Uh, and then, and, and so you get this like monster matchup right away of, of maybe the two most exciting teams in the league to kick things off a uh, very first game of the season. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you're they're bringing all the the teams from last year's semifinals together. So we'll get Seattle and San Diego. We'll get uh, Oregon and Arizona, and then we'll get Oregon and uh, and and San Diego as well. Uh, so there's there's definitely and there's even another game going on. There's San Francisco at, at LA. So there's there's a lot to look at. Uh, but all, we're gonna we're gonna get to to figure out some championship contenders right off the bat because I know that. There's there's going to be plenty of excitement around where Seattle was. I mean, they were just the class of the league by far last year. Uh, the the roster again looks looks strong, so I I think that there's every reason to to peg them as the favorite. Uh, but we're gonna we're gonna get it on the field right away, which is exciting to see. So yeah, at the uh, Arizona weekend, Seattle plays San Diego and Arizona. Oregon plays Arizona and San Diego. Um. And so, you know, two games for all those teams. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, Keith, San Francisco at L.A. Uh, separately, that game on Saturday night. So uh, make sure to tune in on the Western Ultimate League YouTube channel for these games. And yeah, any any predictions for how these games go, Keith? Ooh, um, yeah, let's 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 fire up a, a San Diego upset over Seattle to start us off. How about that? Wow. All right. I, I like it. Let's 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 ride. Dina Dina Malik, Penny Wu. You know, that, that that's 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 hype. Uh, they're going to be fired up. They're going to be fired up to try and take down the title uh title winner. So I like the I opening no, uh, the no, opening no blows team, coming from San Diego. No team goes undefeated. Is that possible? If San Diego beats uh, Seattle, loses to Oregon, Oregon loses to Arizona, Arizona loses to Seattle, yeah, I think it could happen. Yeah, it's possible. Everybody goes one and one. Parody. That's my pick. Do, do we need to do our do we need to do our title team? Do we need our preseason title pick? We absolutely need to make our preseason official locked in semis and finals Put them picks in the book. preseason picks. So Keith, I'll let you go ahead. Who's who's making championship weekend? Well, if I'm if I'm gonna tout, tout San Diego, not that I think this is like bold or anything. I I'm I'm sticking with San Diego to make it. Uh, who else? Who who do you got? You want to go back and forth here? Uh, I'm I'm also taking San Diego, so I'll match you there. Okay, I'm I'm gonna I'm make sure we write these down so they're they're going in the book. And, and just just so as both a on, note, uh, on San Diego. Just as a note, there's two conferences this year. It's slightly different rules. Mm-hmm. Um, two t- top two teams from each conference go to championship weekend. So Northwest is Colorado, Oregon, Seattle, and Utah. And Southwest is Arizona, LA, San Diego, and San Francisco. So just just to be clear about the uh, the process here. So we're both taking San Diego out of the Southwest. Who's your second Southwest team? My second Southwest team. Oh, you want to ask me the hard the hard question, huh? Yeah, the second Southwest team. I think is I think it's where it's tricky. Uh, I feel it's like hard. I've learned my lesson about San Francisco, LA. I I feel like they lost some some key pieces, but I. 
I also feel like that's true of Arizona. Even though I I I, I like Arizona, but I think I'm going to take LA as my other team out of the out of the Southwest. I'm taking Arizona. Okay. They start they start their season with a bunch of, you know, home games and they don't have to go on the road for quite a while. So they could be in a really good position in the late part of the season when they actually have start having to go on the road. So I really like their chances just sort of from a scheduling perspective. And I also just think the team is uh, they're tough to beat, especially at home. So, um, yeah, I'm taking Arizona. Arizona's just got, got a really tough schedule in, in my mind. And they, they last year, last year they won their only two wins of the regular season in their opening weekend. Not feeling so optimistic about that facing, uh, facing Arizona and, and Seattle. So maybe, maybe they'll be stronger on the back end this year than they were last year. But, uh, that that gives me pause as they try to adjust to uh, running their offense through some through some new potential pieces. Uh, Oregon uh, and uh, other Seattle, other division, by the way. Just you said Arizona. Yeah, Oregon, Seattle. Oh, sorry, excuse me. Uh, Up in the Northwest. All right. So in the uh, in the other conference, Northwest. Look, let uh, let's just take Seattle. Like uh, we don't have to really down around it. We don't have to. We don't have to mess around. I'm taking Seattle as well. Yeah, they they still look really good. San Diego pick, notwithstanding. Um, do I think that one of these other teams can take down the presumptive favorite in in Oregon? I don't think so. Yeah, I, I I'm I really don't I don't I don't think so. Uh, Colorado got the new roster. There'll be lots of excitement. I think they'll probably be a little more competitive than maybe their their talent might might tell you. But I don't think they're ready to to take down Oregon. So I'll, I'm I'm taking sticking with the Onyx going chalky. Yeah, I gotta take the chalk here too, Keith. Um... I really like, I mean, I think it's not a total slam dunk. I I think that Colorado and Utah have a chance, but I just think that the roster that Oregon has is just a little bit better. And I think it's tough for Colorado, you know, be a first, first year team in the league. They don't really get a lot of the talent that's in Colorado on the roster. They don't have the best talent. And that, that makes it a little bit tough for them. You know, you, you, if you just look at it on paper and you don't actually look at the roster, you're like, oh, wow, Colorado's definitely going to do it. No, not not going to be the case. So I'm, I'm taking Oregon as well. Yeah, but yeah, after after the year Jade McLaughlin put up last year, and then you get to put her next to Kristen Reed, like about to be about to be buckets. I, I, I'm there could be some big numbers for them. I mean, if you're like a handler, like a Connie Kleinkoff or Sarah Pesch, and you're you're seeing those as the targets, like that's that's exciting. I do think this Alpen Glow team could score some upsets, but uh, yeah, t- taking out Oregon, that's that stuff. A big game week week two right away. Colorado at Utah. Yeah, you, both those teams have got to be feel like we have to win this game to set our season up the right way. So should be fun. Yeah, there's definitely some big games early in the calendar, which I think is is great about the league this year. All right, so those are our picks for the Western Ultimate League season. Uh, first game is Saturday the 11th at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, 3 p.m. Eastern. That's Seattle at San Diego, a rematch of the championship game from 2022. That is going to do it for this edition of Deep Look. Don't miss our subscriber-only bonus segment out the back, and we will uh, see you over there. Thanks so much for tuning in. For Keith, I'm Charlie saying so long. We'll talk to you next week. Next week.